You're listening to episode 124 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Fine intro, Sean. Fine intro. Much better than last week's. Fellas and listeners, if you didn't know, last week Sean fumbled the intro. And if you notice, this week Marco's not here. Why is Marco not here, you ask? Well, he was doing some deep, deep research in a reconnaissance mission. And I come to you today to let you know that Sean Bartley is a scroll. <gasps> wait, are no! we? So, we did wait. this. Yeah, are we and here? He, are we here again? And he laid waste to Marco. We are here again. This I want to lay waste to you. This is a reboot. Shit. This is a reboot. Two, we've been here two years, and we're back in the scroll shit. Recycling hey, bits. What, what hey, is Kyle. this? That the Kyle. all new to, uh, what? Kyle? What the? F- <laughs> Kyle got a name change in the all new, all different <laughs> the comics pals. Yeah, this is Ultimate Comics Pals, you guys. It's exactly the same, but a little bit different. Kyle, you sound awfully a lot like a scroll yourself right now. Uh, okay, well, let me clear the air. Uh, I am. So, um, just put that out there, and uh, let's keep going. Kyle, what'd you do to Kale? <laughs> I killed him. Kyle, I think we should no-sell this whole bit. I think we should just barrel through. Listen, I'm down. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> I like that. All right, well, welcome to the Scroll Pals. All right, uh, so we've got a big show for you guys. We're going to be talking Doomsday Clock number nine. I cannot tell you how excited I am to speak about this book. This book, obviously, a long time coming, uh, three months coming, in fact. And so uh, very excited to to discuss that. Uh, Then, obviously, Captain Marvel is out. Uh, so if you want to hear our review for that, that's actually out now as well. So you can actually go over and listen to that whenever you want. But of course, you're going to want to stick here with us and check this out first because, you know, we're, we're about to blow your minds. Ain't no uh, spoilers here. No, no spoilers here. Spoilers over there, though. So, you know, buyer beware, if you will. Uh But, like I said, we do have lots to talk about. Suicide Squad 2, big news, big, big news. Before we can get into all that, though, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us. We're on all podcast hosting platforms except the ones we're too cool for. Uh, And if you go there while you're there, make sure to drop us a like on whatever platform it is that you are engaging with us. We definitely appreciate it. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. So swing over there and, uh, you know, call us jerks. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Make sure to hit the like button, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and, of course, subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Book club wise, we actually uh, we just dropped. What did we just drop? Captain Marvel. Yeah, we just dropped. No, that's Captain the other one. Topical book clubs. That's the other one. That's next month. No. Oh God. No, we dropped Wait, really? Captain Marvel. Carol Danvers. Hello. Oh, oh. Carol. I can't. I can't keep that straight. I'm sorry. Jeez. I mean, Kale's Kale's been around since both characters were created, so you have to imagine how confusing that is for him it's at like this a, point. It's like a it's like a lightning bolt to the head. I just can't just can't keep it straight. 
Kyle has seen a lot of Captain Marvels. Yes. Um, I that threw me off. I don't even remember where we were. But <laughs> actually, I actually wanted to start the show. Kind of, um, kind of walking something back a little bit. Maybe a walk back. We're gonna talk Ooh, about it. It might be a walk he- back. You're gonna hedge. Might be. Might be. <laughs> so check me out. I've been thinking a lot about Heroes in Crisis. Okay, my dude. I have two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have two. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad. Out so of sight, can... out of mind. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about it because. I just, I'm having a hard time believing that the book is as, uh, that, that it's as far off from the mark as it seems to be, right? That there has to be more happening under the hood mm. than what we're realizing, right? Oh, Red Hood's in this. No. I did, I did a little bit of research. I did some digging. And I found an amazing article by Newsarama. Credit to Newsarama. Those guys really do their do a great job. Vanetta Rogers over there did a great breakdown of where Heroes in Crisis is so far. And it made me desperately want to go back and read every issue because we absolutely have missed something. 100%. So... What I'd like to do is just go a little bit through this with you guys because I think it might it, it might, you know, change our minds a little bit or or at least force us to read the next issue a little bit closer. That's all. I didn't, so I didn't I didn't sign up for this. All right, well, bye. Uh <laughs> So one thing that that really got me when I when I first started reading this is is the reveal that there are actually two versions, at least, of what happened, the murders at Sanctuary. And I didn't realize that at first. That we've seen Booster and Harley Quinn see different things. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that on this show. <laughs> okay, okay. But also, also, there's the fact that in one issue, Wally and Roy die on the Porsche. This is from the article. And then in another, Wally and Roy die in the house. Mm. Sure. I yeah, didn't catch yeah. that. I did not yeah, catch that. I didn't I didn't catch that either. Uh not to brag, I think I caught it, but I didn't pay enough attention to it. Okay, I so it. that then you didn't catch it. Now, I caught it. I didn't care. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> there but there are there are several clues like that there's um the puddlers right which we caught we did notice the puddlers written on the wall thing it said uh uh, it's written in blood or whatever the puddlers are all dead what i didn't catch at least me personally is that lois lane gets some packages Uh and on the packages there are notes that are signed the puddlers so if the puddlers are all dead who the hell sending her these notes, right? Uh, and then there's this this glitch apparently in the system where uh, thumb drives from the files at Sanctuary were sent to Lois Lane. Batman says that those were all destroyed. So what's going on with that? 
Right, we knew that. Yeah. Uh, and then one, one more that I want to point out here, just because this is one that I should have caught and I missed, uh, is that Skeets, Booster's like little robot yes. guy, he's he's bad. Wee woo. He, he's actually... Oh, yeah. He's yeah, evil. Wee-woo. He's aligned with Bane. That's a spoiler for Batman, so I'm sorry if you, you know, I, I you know, but he's bad. So he's definitely not, he's playing games here. And I'm wondering what his involvement is and if this has anything to do with Bane. So, okay, this is the problem with everything you just mentioned. It doesn't make it good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that, that, that's true. But I know for me, these facts definitely increase my interest level. And if I had been paying more attention to that, instead of just the fact that the book is bad, then I would have enjoyed it more. And I'd be looking forward to it more. We've talked about this book, what, six issues, right? Six At times, this point? yeah. And every time we talk about this book, it comes back in circles to, this is a book that has a murder mystery, no one cares about the murder mystery. Every a lot of the details you've underscored are about the murder mystery. Yes. I still don't care about the murder mystery. But they're not all about the murder mystery. Like I, I encourage you to read the article because it does go into some other things. Um, there's something. There's something happening at Sanctuary. I think that has nothing to do with murder. That's wrong. And we are being shown things that, like, it's not possible that two, that both versions of the story that we're seeing are true, right? So what the hell is going on? And I, I do, I, I will read one more, um, because this one threw me for a loop, and it doesn't have anything to do with, with murder. I mean, it kind of does, but just hear me out. So, from the article, according to the clues discovered in Barry Allen's crime lab, Wally West's body is actually from five days in the future of the murder. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. What the hell? You didn't catch that? That wasn't, it wasn't in this issue, it was in the last one. Right. That was like the big, uh, the big reveal, the big booster reveal. Right. Be- because both booster and the flash deal with time shit. Yeah. But how? Right? Well, we don't know. That's, yeah. That, but that's a great, that's a great, like, uh, bit there. I think that's really compelling, and I'm interested to see where it goes. I just don't, I don't know if whatever the end result is will justify some of the more obvious, like, this is not good parts of the story. But I am intrigued by that stuff. So th- that's the thing. And this is kind of a thing that always circles back to Scott Snyder. Uh, you can have a lot of great ideas or moments, but execution is everything. And that's been the whole problem with these last six issues is execution. For instance, off the show, Kale mentioned to us later that the whole point of the caveman character was that he was a man out of time like Wally West. He was out of his element. And that's like a cool little nugget. It really is, and that, that that that's a good thematic device in trying to relate what Wally's going through. But it doesn't mean the execution is good. I think I think this also speaks to the fact that there are some comics that work better month to month, and there are some that don't. And I think that 
I, I don't think that reading this all in one chunk would make it good, but I think it would make a lot of the things about it that are good more obvious. Because I think that, um, to, to Sean's point, like, some of these details that, like, we've either missed or not really, like, connected with are probably also because, like, we're largely disinterested in the book. So, like, you go into it with a little bit of negativity and, like, you don't pick up on some of those subtleties because, like, you're just trying to get through it because we're at a point where I feel like a lot of us are kind of emotionally checked out with this story. Whereas if you, if you had sat down and read it as like a graphic novel with the entire, you know, nine issues, I think a lot of these um, threads or some of these like illusions or things like that, or, or whatever that, that King is setting up would have landed better. Whether they would land well is, you know, like a different, a different conversation, but you know what, you know what, Pete, it sounds like you're volunteering to re review the book when the trade comes out. I already said I was down to do that from the beginning. Yeah, I was going to make that suggestion anyway. I, I do think that might be worth it. I would be willing to give this book another chance in a Shit. different format. I I know that for me, books like this are better read monthly because I can find perspectives like the one I just found. And sure. that, that will sense. force me to read the book differently because now I'm absolutely going to go back and read every issue and and look at them with different eyes and, and try to give it a second chance. See, and the comparison to Identity Crisis has been, you know, has been carried through this book the whole time. Yeah. But I, I read Identity Crisis uh, – in trade form yeah. uh, in trade form all at once and i think if i had read that at the time as it came out i think that would have driven me crazy i think that um that book in particular uh it does something very um especially as you get uh deeper the it shifts a lot of the perspectives and it leaves you with these hard cliffhangers and a different person's perspective at for it does a lot of what heroes in crisis is doing with these with these uh therapy files i i i see that i also read identity crisis and trade so i can't speak to how i felt at the moment um waiting month to month i just like the suspense of oh my god i have to wait a month to read this yeah, it's never, never appealed to me. So. Yeah, fair enough. So I just wanted to have a quick conversation about Heroes in Crisis because we have, you know, beat on this book pretty hard. And I, I do think that in the midst of that, we have missed some things. Um, one last point, you know, you guys brought up the uh, allegory of the cave and that cave guy. What was his name? Nar? Gnar? Nark. Caveman um, philosopher. One point that's brought up in the article from Newsarama is that that allegory of the cave conversation probably actually related not to being Harley a person. Being, no, no, no. Not to being a person of two worlds necessarily, more of a matter of perspective. Trying to get you to think about perspective because what you see when you're in the cave is not the same as what you see when you're out of the cave that it that it'll it'll look different and everything else so i think that that might have been like a clue in and of itself 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Harley and Booster, they get different perspectives because they see the shadows on the wall differently because they see who killed all these people differently because of the perspective is different. Right. And, and it's like Cerebro is the cave. Yeah. Yeah. So um, really interesting. And again, props to Newsarama for what I think is a really good article that breaks down this book and gives just a little more incentive to pay more attention when reading it. So next time, I I solemnly swear to <laughs> put aside all of my bias and read the book with fresh eyes and give it a chance. Um, I'd also like to point out that uh, Tyler uh, over from the Long Box tagged us in a, a thread about um, the uh, Heroes in Crisis mental health representation um in a thread by uh that sea monster um that and that's an angle that i would like to um look at as well that's what i thought you were uh, referencing initially did, did you read that thread uh i'm i'm skimming it now i i thought that's what sean was going to talk about um so i haven't uh, i haven't read the whole thing no i've seen that um, but I, to be honest, to, to be really honest, I didn't even care to read it because I don't think that, I don't think that anything particularly special has been done in that realm with this book, but that's, other people can feel differently from me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I would like to look at it from that angle at some point, Yeah, you know. It we'll do a retrospective. Right yeah. Yeah, I think um, that angle is definitely going to be an interesting one to explore when the book is finished because there's you know a good chance that it has a lot more to say. And I'd be interested in revisiting each of the interviews like as individuals. You know, when we reread the book, I think that could be a really interesting exercise because um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that a, a good friend of mine uh, – who's like not really big into uh big two superhero books, like has been reading heroes in crisis and enjoying it. And, um, that is the thing that stuck out the most to her. And she, uh, like has worked in psychology in, in the psychology field off and on. So like, I think there, that there's, uh, there's definitely, I think more to be, there's more blood to be squeezed from this stone, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Fair enough. So let's move on to the pals polls from Kale. We've got Infinite Dark Volume One. Yeah, yeah. So this is a uh, a volume from uh, Ryan Katie, uh, Ryan Katie and Andrea Moody. Uh, Ryan Katie <coughs> and Andrea Moody, the artist on Fearscape. Is that right? Oh my god! Oh, really? I didn't know that. I did not recognize that by name. That's awesome. Who's who? Is this Vault that does this? Oh shoot! I don't think so, but uh, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, so this book it's is about uh, image. it's a oh, it's an image. Oh, oh, oh well, look at you, Ryan Katie. Yeah. Um, it's a uh, a book about the survivors of the end of the world, uh, and then or, or the end of the universe, I believe, and then coming across more people or more trouble. I haven't read the book yet. But it's in uh, trade now, so I'm I'm very excited to pick it up. Cool, yeah. Uh, Ryan Katie is our is our boy. Uh, he's a good guy, and um, I actually have the issues for this book. I haven't uh, opened them up yet, but I do plan to read them. And then the only other person who had a poll this week was me. It was a light week. 
Uh, and I chose Magnificent Miss Marvel, number one. This is actually Saladin Ahmed's first issue with the character. So I'm really excited to see what he has to do uh, with with Kamala. Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man by Saladin Ahmed, is actually really good. So, You've been enjoying it? Yeah. Was, was your interest in this book at all influenced by your hype? For Captain Marvel this month. No. Uh, at this point, I see them as separate characters. Uh, they don't they don't interact a ton anymore. Um, so I'm really... It's really just that I, I love Kamala. I'm a big, big fan of, of that character. And well, I'm a big, big fan, fan of... Solid in the Med. Exactly. So... Yep. Um, and it's Minkyu Young... On art for that book, so and it's very pretty. So I'm I'm, I'm excited to, to check that out. You have to let us know how that one is. Absolutely, I shall. Now we're you know we've got the Captain Marvel review, so you guys can go check that out. I do want to talk a little bit, jumping into the news here, about the estimates for how much money this puppy is gonna make. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter. Oops, Sean, I'm sorry. There's a cat in the movie, not a not a puppy. Uh, you know what? You're right. Um, the Hollywood Reporter had to revise its original estimate because Captain Marvel has been doing so well. Uh, Friday, it, it it pulled in a pretty good amount of money. Thursday, it pulled in twenty million. Uh, yeah. So just on Thursday, quote unquote previews, it pulled in twenty million dollars. Um, so they're saying that this movie is going to make between one hundred and fifty-five and one hundred and sixty million dollars. That's this nothing. Weekend. That's that's the average annual salary of any comic pal. <laughs> right. If that Jesus were the case, Christ. I wouldn't be a comic pal. For real. Uh, <laughs> But that's 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 a that's a big chunk of change. I I just saw that it it uh, this will also be the uh, the biggest opening for a, a new character. I think I saw that on Twitter. I I guess they consider her a new a new character. I, I mean, right. yeah, she is. She hasn't been. She hasn't appeared in anything else. That's probably what they mean by new character. A character that hasn't been in a comic book movie before. Yeah, because like. I'd be interested to see if they like counted Black Panther as that because like he, he was in Civil, in War. Civil War, right? So like, yeah, I I don't I don't think he would count. Um, is that only counting Marvel or is that overall? I that, don't know. Huh? Kale, coming with the facts. Well, that that's tricky because like Batman nineteen eighty nine made a ton of movie, but does that count the Adam West movie from the sixties? I don't know. Well, I'm thinking about Aquaman. Oh, fair enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. It's got to be a Marvel movie then. How much did uh, Aquaman make? Do you do you remember offhand? Uh, made no, a truckload of money. Not in its first week, I don't. Um, but I know that it made a, a a nice chunk of change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know um, it set very similar records. Yeah, so. I'm happy to see that that Captain Marvel is doing well. Uh, Whether you like the movie or not, one of the most frustrating things about it 
it, it has been just been like the narrative around it and all the drama surrounding the the review bombing sure. and all that crap. So sure, I'm yeah. glad that that hasn't impacted this movie's ability to make money because it should have every right to make money if people want to see it, and apparently people wanted to see it. I, I I get the impression from like the broader cultural zeitgeist that everyone just kind of rolls their eyes at that at this point and just ignores it because they kind of know what the score is. Yeah, I think that's true on some level. I feel like that as a attention-grabbing thing is mattering less and less, you know? Yeah, I I agree. I think it I think it is mattering less and less and I think it's more of a circle jerk at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's just a bunch of guys who want to prove a point. And speaking of circle jerks, you're listening to The Comics Pals, where five guys listen to themselves talk. Jeez, there's only four of us. Yeah. All right. Well, um let's talk about something sad. Something that Oh, really hell yeah. Sad. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> Marvel is losing one of their greats because Mike Deodato Jr. has announced that he will be leaving Marvel Comics after 24 years once Savage Avengers comes to a close. Um, I, I do want to read some of his uh, his goodbye letter. He says, when I was a boy, I dreamt to one day become a Marvel artist. I grew up reading Avengers, Captain America, Spider-Man, and since my father was already an artist in Brazil, I decided I would do the same, but drawing the heroes that made my childhood so great. This must hit you really hard, Sean, because this guy uh, worked with Bendis a lot, and you read a lot of Bendis growing up. Yeah. Mike Diodato Jr. is one of the five or so artists that I most associate with comics. When I when I visualize, you know, oh man, what would this look like or whatever, I think about his art. You know, I think about him. I think about Steve McNeven. Um, those are the two artists more than any others that really have have like taken a space up in my mind when I think about comic books. So. My question is, is he retiring or is he just reducing his workload to do like, you know, indie books or something? So he says, now I'm 56 and I have a new dream to be a creator owned artist. I want to dedicate my full time to create my own books and characters. That's cool. And like immediately after this announcement, he had he uh, announced a a book with uh, uh, Jeff Jeff Lemire. Lemire. It's called Berserker Unbound. Now, this character uh, looks a little bit like Col- uh, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, a little, little bit? A bit, little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be a dark horse book that's uh, that they're working on together. Hmm. Pretty similar to Conan. Yeah. Uh, this, is not, <laughs> this is not Black Hammer related, which is kind of cool just because I know that Jeff Lemire has been living right. in that world for a while. That dude's fucking all over the place. He lives in so many different worlds. He's got. He announced another graphic novel uh, this week, like Fred's called like Frog Legs or something. It's another full length graphic novel. Wow. Um. So on the subject of his new title, 
Diodato said, I really wanted to draw a barbarian story, and Jeff turned this dream of mine into a reality <laughs> with this deeply emotional story of friendship seen through multiple dimensions. I am not exaggerating when I say this book has the most epic battles I've ever drawn. Berserker Unbound is a turning point in my career. Yeah, that's... Uh, you guys are laughing. It is kind of funny because Savage Avengers literally is him drawing a, uh, you know, a a barbarian so listen my dude has a type (laughs) (laughs) and and look that's fine (laughs) sure that's not their own shade like it sounds cool it's just weird that he won't acknowledge it (laughs) that'd be like you kale doing nothing but like super sentai knockoffs and just not acknowledging it (laughs) what I just, I've always wanted to do a Power Rangers book. <laughs> well, Kale, this is an awful lot like Power Rangers. No, it's not. <laughs> they just, you know, they've inspired me my whole life. And I really thought, I really thought this would be the time to, 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 to really make something like that. And, and I'm announcing my retirement from the comics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to throw out some of the, what I think are some of the greatest hits from, uh, Mr. Deodato. He did, um, Original Sin, which if, whether you like that book or not, the art was insanely good. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Connected to that, his, um, his Norman Osborn has got to be one of my favorite versions. It's like, yeah, it's Tommy Lee Jones mixed with like that weird Norman Osborn half cornrow hair. I was actually going to save that because I was going to say that's my favorite uh, Mike Deodato of all time is his his turn on Thunderbolts and sure. Dark Avengers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, what I, I, that's what I most associate with him with. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're talking about some of the best looking art of that time. And that's when Marvel had a stranglehold on really great talent overall. Um but uh, he's also he also is doing Infinity Wars, so you can see they've given him some events. He's worked on you know several events for them. Um, just just so many different amazing books. New Avengers, Old Man Logan, uh, the, the 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 current one, um, ca- a little bit of Captain America, you know Avengers. Just just so much incredible work that he's contributed, and I just want to say. Uh, although he may never hear this, thank you so much for uh, being what you've been and for contributing art that I'm never going to forget. You know, a lot of times you can you can uh, lose sight of the fact that you're doing this work and there are people on the other end who are being impacted by it. And I can say that I certainly am someone who's been impacted by Mike Deodato's art. So thank you so much. And I look forward to what you do in the future. You gonna read this uh, this new book? Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is this is two creators that I I think very highly of, uh, and you know it sounds based on the quote there that I read that there's more to this than just you know a barbarian story because he does say it's a friendship seen through multiple dimensions. I don't know what that means, but uh, you know it's Jeff Lemire, it's Mike Diodato. No reason not to check it out. Sounds pretty think- cool. One thing, one thing that's also really significant about this, and and it's pretty similar to uh, when Bendis left Marvel. It's it's very rare and unique to have a creator be on you know fairly good terms with the company 
for so long and then leave to pursue other things and you know the not to cast aspersions on that or either side of that but you know for them to say you know yeah i've been here i accomplished this dream that i've had for half my life um i'm gonna go do something else and that's really cool it is cool it's absolutely cool for an individual to you know get to live their dream you know and then and then say to themselves all right well what else is there you know and we live in such an such an amazing time for creators where they get to tell their own stories you know and get paid for it and make money off of it um whatever they're passionate about it just it you know <laughs> it sucks because marvel loses another one what if what if mike Goes to DC Comics and joins Bendis on a Cave Carson book or something. <laughs> that would be the wildest, the wildest artist casting for a book ever. Or, or like a Flex Metallo book or something. What if? Get, Mike... Hang on, uh, Sean, hold. Go ahead. Get one more. I don't know, man. Uh, Wonder Woman. <laughs> All right. Okay. What if Mike Deodato Jr. goes to DC to tell a story with Bendis that stars Lex Luthor and several <laughs> villains? Maybe he, maybe he from, becomes the president. Uh, maybe he becomes the leader of uh, of uh, stars <laughs> or something like that, and he puts together a team of villains. Who are actually, or puts together a team of heroes who are actually villains posing as their enemies. That could be cool. That sounds really cool, dude. <laughs> yeah, That's the, a really uh, innovative idea. Bendis, Bendis pitches that to him, and he's like, yeah, yeah, Lex, you know, he's a little bit of a Norman uh, uh, comparison. And he's like, no, 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 we gotta do Vandal Savage. And he's like, God, Mike, enough with the cavemen! <laughs> <laughs> well, Vandal Savage could be in it. He could be, uh... Who's a who's a, a hero that's like a, a barbarian? Bawana Beast. Wow. He could be Nark <laughs> the or deep, Nar or the whatever the hell cuts. that guy's name is. Bawana yeah, Beast. Good Nark call. For a, thank you. Uh, a thank you. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love for that to be a subtle thing in this show where I just casually bring up Bawana Beast every once in a while. I would love for it to not be. Uh, so... Just to put it out there, Berserker Unbound does co- uh, go on sale August 7th, 2019. So this year, not too long to wait. Now, we have to talk a lot about Suicide Squad 2. What, and it feels some kind of Suicide Squad? I, never mind. I was going to make a really dark joke. Uh <gasps> Fuck! <laughs> I think audiences just know where your mind went. Yeah, I don't need to say it. Uh, it feels weird to call it Suicide Squad 2 because technically it's not Suicide Squad 2. It's The Suicide Squad. Um, but uh, it appears that we now know what the cast is going to look like as far as what characters will be in the movie. There's a lot to talk about here. Uh, so we speculated on what characters we thought might be featured in this new film and i think we got uh about one right based on this list that colliders put put out here i'll take great. it great great so, yeah. so dead shot and harley quinn 
Oh, I wasn't even counting those. No, no, just, we got another one, right? Yeah, we 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 speculated on one one character who is on the list that is not a former uh, Suicide Squad member. What's his name? Uh, fucking Street Shark. Street Shark. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm in. Wait, everyone, you, everyone, did, everyone, shut up. When are we gonna get a Street Shark movie? Yo. Like, I would be all in for that. Yeah, Let's dog. go. Reboot the Transformers and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles okay, and, the, okay. and bring here's, a Street Sharks movie. Here's my pitch. They're, so they're doing this Godzilla movie. They're doing this King Kong. It's going to collide into a Godzilla King Kong movie. Better idea. Street Sharks, SWAT Cats. Street Sharks, SWAT Cats movie. Say that fast. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Fuck. What about yeah. Street Sharks... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. <laughs> and, and hold on, guys. All right. And SWAT Cats. Oh. <laughs> right. He's a madman! Wow. Damn, that, All right. That's Listen. the most ambitious crossover. I'll write that movie for free. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Start now. Uh, fanfiction.net. So, <laughs> uh, first, first, I want to talk about the biggest news coming out of this Suicide Squad blowout, which is that Will Smith is out as Deadshot. Now, you know, we speculated that it was it probably wasn't going to happen, that he would come back. Uh, just didn't feel right. And apparently uh, it wasn't right. Um, as it turns out, there was a scheduling conflict that's going to keep him out of this movie, which is interesting to me because I thought... You know, maybe he was tied down for a couple of these. Maybe, you know, contractually obligated, but I guess not. Uh, so they found someone else, apparently. Idris Elba is allegedly replacing Will Smith as Deadshot. Now, what, what I read is that uh, Idris Elba and James Gunn had a private meeting where that went so well that Idris Elba's team immediately started the negotiation process with Warner to try to, you know, uh, land this role. I haven't seen, you know, any official statement, but everybody's reporting it as fact. So This is the third person James Gunn has taken from Disney to bring over to Warner Brothers. People really like working with the guy, clearly. Third person. Third person. Who's going on? Who's, so we have Dave Bautista. That's right. Drax is going to be in Suicide Squad. That's not confirmed. He's no well, Drax is good. He's switching movies. Drax, the character, will be in Suicide Squad too. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, also, uh, he took Julie Andrews from uh, oh, Disney, and she was an Aquaman. So there's two, and this is number three. James Gunn took her. James Wan directed Aquaman. Yeah, but he was, it was he made the call. But. Aquaman and <laughs> no, <that's a> bit. <laughs> that was good. I don't but, believe uh, you. <laughs> this time, this time, Drax is going to be the daddy's little monster. <laughs> All right. Uh, just Dave Batista walking around in like uh, you know his WWE gear. He's just wearing a really tight, small shirt. Those just those short shorts and maybe some uh, fishnets. All oh, right, Christ, please. I'll see no. this movie. <laughs> so, on its face, what do you make of Idris Elba as Deadshot? 
I was going to say, I, I, I think it'll be a lot uh, closer to the um, the comics. I feel like I feel like uh, I, I, I don't ever feel like Will Smith has ever, except like a couple of uh, exceptions, like uh, uh, that movie with his son. Pursuit of Happiness. Yes, where he wasn't Will Smith. Uh, you know where he, you know he, he. It never really has felt like he's not been the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, and I, I just Hancock. never. Hancock. I never. No, that that was the same. Um, <laughs> Legendary, or or I am Legend. I am Legend. Yeah. Uh, it still feels like Will Smith feel in like that, that movie. Was the same. Yeah. Oh yeah. BS. Yeah, BS. No, I'm, with, I'm with you on this one, Sean. That's bullshit. That was the he felt like the Fresh Prince in those movies where he was an alcoholic superhero guy. No, no. Or... I'm saying he feels like Will Smith. In in I Am Legend, this guy was was insane. He was depressed. He was talking to mannequins and 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 what would Will Smith, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, be doing in a zombie apocalypse? He wouldn't have survived. He would have died because he's stupid. Unless he didn't, and he became legend, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think Id- Idris Elba can bring some sophistication to the Deadshot role that it didn't it didn't feel like Will Smith had in Suicide Squad, and that's not to. You know, say it was bad. I did really enjoy his performance, but it didn't. It didn't quite sit right for what the character seemed like it should be. I think for me, I agree with that, and it wasn't because I don't agree with what you're saying about Will Smith as an actor. But I mean, I you're wrong, like, but fine. Oh, no, God. you're wrong. Um, and no, you I, are. No, you are. No, Here you we are. Go. Okay, guys, we get it. No, you. Okay, so oh, man, the um, record skipping. My uh, my thing is, I feel like they they made Deadshot like a little too charming, you know. Like it was very like he's an antihero kind of guy, but like he's not. He's an assassin, you know. He's very like, charming. I feel like the, the character in the books is very very charming. He's very suave, but I, he's also a killer. And like yeah, I didn't get I didn't get like, any. Uh, what I'm trying to say is like I feel like it was too much, right? Like it, it was he didn't feel like he had that edge to him that like i feel like i associate with the character you know like even if he is charming and he has human elements that's fine but i felt like i didn't get the sense that he was like a bad dude and i've seen idris elba play a villain before you know and i i think that he can give us both of those things because i've seen him play characters that are really charming but i've also seen him play you know guys that are like shady yeah know? yeah but but that shot in the books is he's just very he, he's very charming and suave but he's also very disassociated like he doesn't have like a a killer's edge type personality it's all very matter-of-factly like like bang you're dead that kind yeah, of thing but what pete what pete's saying though is that in the movie you you could argue that through a different set of circumstances Deadshot could be viewed as a hero or a heroic figure. And that's not what Deadshot is. And I completely agree with that. And I've always heard a rumor that Will Smith has some sort of clause or whatever that he can never play a villain or whatever. I've heard that. Yeah, I have heard that. 
that if that's true, I could see how that impacted the Deadshot character in the movie. Uh, and I don't want that same Deadshot. I want a Deadshot like what Pete was saying, who's actually bad. Uh, gotcha. And so, like, uh, I want him to be a guy that I like, even though he's bad, you know. And I think Idris Elba is like the right actor to bring that to the table, you know. I'm a huge fan of his. I think, and like, he's like got range, you know. Like people think of him, um, I think for like a few different key roles, but it's like he's done all kinds of shit, man. He was in The Office. For a while, you know, and it's like, I feel like he can do the charming comedics elements that we want to see in this character, at least on some level, where he can have banter and all that kind of stuff. But I also think that he's going to be able to bring like that, um, what was the word that you used, Phil? Uh, Disassociation? Yeah, or or like just that, like the matter of factness to him being that kind of killer. Like, I think Idris Elba is the right actor to kind of play both sides of that character well. And I, as much as I like Will Smith and as much as I liked him as Deadshot, like, because I don't really have that much of an association with that character, you know? So it's like, he was different, but like, okay, that's fine. Like, I've seen that happen in movies before. So it's, you know, it is what it is. But... I, I think that Idris Elba is going to be a better match for who we know Deadshot to be. Were you a big fan of The Wire? Uh, I've I, never actually watched The Wire. I'm a massive fan of The Wire. And he is actually my... Stringer is my favorite character in The Wire, played by Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah. He put... He, a lot of people... I mean, that's like the show that like really launched his career for a lot of way, in a lot of ways. Luther as well. Luther is phenomenal. That show is amazing. I really, really enjoy it. And he's the yeah, main character there. there. There's a strong case, I think, for him to be like in the conversation for like one of the best actors of our age. You know, he's he's a really, really he's a talent. So I think him being in this film is like only going to oh. be an asset. You know what? I a couple of weeks ago we talked about Tom Cruise. And I kind of feel like Will Smith is similar to Tom Cruise in the sense that he is a star. Will Smith is a massive star in the way that Tom Cruise is. He's kind of one of the last ones because there's not a ton of them uh, under that, those two guys' age at this point. Uh, so like when you see them in movies, it's a little difficult to disassociate the characters they're playing from the actors that are playing the characters. Which is, I think, what Kale and I are kind of trying to say. Idris Elba is a phenomenal actor, and I think it's a little easier to differentiate his act, him as an actor uh, versus the character he's playing. I don't, I don't disagree with that when it comes to the portrayal of a comic book character. That's why when we talked about uh, Tom Cruise. I said that I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to accept him in a, in a in a role like that because I wouldn't be able to stop seeing Tom Cruise. I couldn't stop seeing Will Smith as Deadshot. And it's not because of what he was bringing to the character. It's because Will Smith has been in my life my entire life. And I've seen him so many times in so many different things. And he's so massive that I just I just see Will Smith and I can't separate the two. He is legend. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also think that, like, there are certain actors that just are better at getting lost in a role. You know, like, I like Will Smith, but I wouldn't say that he's, like, a brilliant actor, you know? Um, I think he's, he's a, a good lead... Yeah, he's a good leading man, you know? Um, but Idris Elba is, like... 
I've seen him in a lot of things, but I never look at him and have that thought, you know, like I, I, I don't like, I feel like he does a much better job of like being, I guess like kind of like one of those actors that can be a chameleon. You know, like I feel like, um, controversy aside, like Gary Oldman's like that where like, I've seen him in dozens of things, but like, I never, I don't associate him with one role. Like he was commissioner Gordon, but I don't think, Oh yeah. Gary Oldman was, Commissioner Gordon, you know, is there some like, controversy with Gary Oldman? Yeah, he he's uh, he's a pretty pretty notorious like uh, he's a, he's a wife beater, isn't he? Yeah. He's, oh, he's, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's been some. He's got a. I, I from what I understand, he's got a pretty uh, intense uh, temper. Violent, yeah, violent streak. Yeah, you pop my um, balloon. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I, I think. I, I get what you guys are saying, but I, I'm excited by this news. Overall, no, for sure. To, to get yeah. us off this subject. Uh, Idris Elba is a, a real talent, and I think seeing him work together with James Gunn is going to be real exciting. So, in addition to that, we've got the the team. So, let's, let's talk about the team and go over some of these names that are allegedly a part of the Suicide Squad. Uh, just just a, a, a preface... This is what Collider is hearing from their sources. I've seen this reported in other places. It doesn't mean that this is the exact team. This is just what they're hearing right now. So who knows? But this is what we've got. Ratcatcher. Now, allegedly, according to Collider, Ratcatcher is going to be gender swapped. In the comics, Ratcatcher is Otis Flanagan. And in the movies, Ratcatcher will be a woman. Um... And, uh... Same we'll name, s- though. Same, same... Yeah, same name. Her name is Otis. Uh, oh, God. Uh, so we'll see how that... We'll see how that works out. Uh, the power to control rodents, I guess. Pied Piper? Pied Piper, yeah. Huh. Uh, King Shark. That's kind of cool. That's the, that's the one... The street shark. ...that we... Yeah, the street shark. King Shark, the street shark. Uh, King Shark is a cool, cool. He's guy. also a gambler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Polka Dot Man, aka Mister Polka Dot. I like that. That's fun. Uh, Peacemaker. Oh, that's an old uh, Charlton character. Charlton, uh, Charlton Comics. And uh, allegedly. James Gunn is looking to have Batista yeah. play, play Peacemaker. Hell Peacemaker Dave. is an interesting he's an interesting character because he's a pacifist, but he's an extreme pacifist. Yeah. And he loves peace so much that he would That he'll do... kick your fucking ass. Right. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's quite the premise. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so I this is cool. I like that I don't know who most of these characters are. Um, so I, I like the idea that like we can kind of like start fresh in a way that maybe makes sense. Polka Dot Man huh. is an old Batman villain from like the fifties. Ratcatcher similarly is from the eighties. Uh, control control over an army of sewer rats. Manipulation over various things with cyanide gases and use of a gas gun. <laughs> 
or his powers. Oh, and he now is the condiment king. Oh, God. I would pay so much money to see the condiment king, especially in Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. I gotta say, I, I don't care much for this roster. Oh, I'm into it. I'm here. It's very uh, eclectic. It is. I'm cool with that. You know, like, I, uh, I, I like the idea of it being characters that are, like, new to a lot of people so we can just, like, establish, you know, um, like, let James Gunn kind of, like, play, you know? Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I think about certain other characters where I feel, I feel like you could do so much with them. This just seems like a really out there group of group of people, but I'm sure James Gunn can make it work. Uh, the characters that we don't quite know where they're going to land are um, uh, Rick Flagg. There's been Woo! mixed reports about Rick Flagg and whether or not Joel Kinnaman will reprise his role as the character. I don't like him. I, don't like I think him one bit. He was whatever. I, th- I think you gotta have Rick Flagg in the movie. I don't know that Joel Kinnaman has to play him, but I don't think he was bad. I didn't have a problem with what he did. Uh, and then uh, I've seen differing reports about Viola Davis. I've seen she'll be in it. I've seen she won't. I've seen I don't know. So who knows? But she played Amanda Waller. They're not making a Suicide Squad movie without Amanda Waller. So that character will definitely be in. One thing that strikes me about this film is it's it's a lot it feels a lot like the comics in that every time there's a a a, a creator shift, there's a whole new group uh of the Suicide Squad. You know, be yeah, it, which is cool. Be it the Secret Six, be it the Suicide Squad, be it you know, it always seems like there are six different people, and then Deadshot, <laughs> right? And also Harley Quinn, who more recently, according to well, oh, oh, uh, I see what you mean. Yeah, according to reports, it's pretty likely that she will uh, be in this film. And played, obviously, by Margot Robbie. Uh, again, I don't know how I feel about that. I feel that if you're gonna if you're gonna change the whole roster like this, maybe you move away from that character. She's so like she's so big right now that she almost takes away from the other characters' ability to shine. But you could also make the opposite argument that they need an anchor. So I don't know. I think Idris Elba could be that anchor. And also, isn't she going to be in the Birds of Prey movie or whatever? Yes. Yes, she so, is. So I don't think there's an issue with this moving her to another movie. Well, yeah, I don't, not... I don't know that you need her, but I, I think... I don't know. I, I understand their impetus to want to include her because she is, like, you know, at this point, one of their most popular characters. And it's also a Harley Quinn movie. It's not a Birds of Prey movie. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, I don't think that's correct. It's really? Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I apologize. That's... that's okay. That's okay. You can be wrong. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not more or less excited about this movie than I was before, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. 
For, uh, for me, it's it's just what I said before is that I like the idea of it being mostly new or less popular characters because I think that's going to give James Gunn more room to be creative in the way that he was with the Guardians where, you know, he took a bunch of characters that were lesser known and was kind of able to create new identities for them that are now, you know, um, iconic. And he's good at that. You know, he's good at taking uh, a toy box and creating something fresh. So, you know, for me as somebody that doesn't really have any association with these characters and wasn't particularly attached to anybody from the original team, I'm cool with it. And I'd be fine if Margot Robbie's in it. You know, like, I I feel like just the fact that it's going to be a James Gunn joint, like, I like Margot Robbie. I think the problem was the script, not her as Harley Quinn. I didn't even have a problem with Harley Quinn. I, I really loved her, and I am not one of the individuals who is tired of Harley Quinn. I could see, I could stand to see her quite a bit more as long as the as long as she's used properly. So if yeah, James Gunn has that. a good idea with how to bring her into the fold here, great. But I'm gonna need to be sold on how she gets collared up again in Suicide Squad. Because what, you, what? It's fucking. It's Harley Quinn. She's a Batman villain. She's in jail, and then she escapes like that, just like every other Batman villain. Yeah, you know, but fucking how revolving she, door in Gotham. How does she end up getting involved with the Suicide Squad again? Amanda Waller. But but yeah, okay. Same way she got got it before. Yeah, it's like, hey, remember last time where I made you guys do a thing and it worked out, kind of. All right, well we're doing it again. But this time, I'm just going to use Harley and Deadshot because they had sexual <laughs> but, chemistry, and everybody else is either dead or a loser. But so. this time, I'm using Idris Elba. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I didn't see the other Suicide Squad movie. Uh, it was before we had a podcast, and I was forced to see movies I didn't want to see. <laughs> so I did. Fair. So I did not see the movie. Uh, this one, on the other hand, I'm interested in because it has a director who's got a proven track record, and uh, the, pre- the, the this cast of characters is pretty interesting. So we'll see. Uh, I obviously want to see what it looks like and what some trailers look like, but uh, it's got potential. Cool. Uh, and will they for play the record... Queen during it? That's the real question. What's that? So I said, will they play Queen during it? That's the real question. I hope not. Oh, is Bohemian Rhapsody the second uh, Suicide Squad movie? For the record, the movie drops August 6, 2021. Our last... uh, What? I said it could be good. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. There was so much space. And you waited until I spoke to speak. Not on purpose. Listen, Sean. Could be good. (laughs) Hey, Sean, speak again. This is a great gimmick. This is really fun. It got me over. Uh, So (laughs) this this last bit of news is something that uh, I think is is happening. Uh, It's it's happening at the right time. Uh, Arrow is going to come to an end after season eight. Now, Arrow has been around for a while at this point. Um, It began in 2012. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting show because it it has... I think it's 
pretty popular. I think that's fair to say. I think it's still, yeah. I think all of the CW shows are still fairly popular. And this is the show that really started that entire, you know, what they've got going on over at the CW with comic book shows. And obviously, you know, in 2012, a comic book show on the CW makes perfect sense. It's not like a no, it's, it's a, it's a no brainer to give that a shot. Uh, less so maybe with this character. Um, and I think when you look at what they have done with this character, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's to be applauded. Granted, they did s- steal and, you know, appropriate a lot of Batman stuff for this character, which may bother you if you really are a Batman fan and you know your stuff. It did bother me, but, you know, it didn't, it didn't stop me from watching the show. Um, but this show has been a juggernaut, and I know that it has a loyal fan base, and uh, even though I didn't watch it, I certainly I certainly respect it, and I respect what Greg Berlanti and, and the crew were able to do with this. Yeah, I watched up to season five, um, and, and then I, I just, it, <laughs> I, I felt like all of, because I was also watching The Flash, and, um, I think at the time they were just starting the uh, the DC Legends or whatever that show is called. Heroes of Tomorrow. Or something, yeah. Um, and at that point, it just, like, four, four different characters had died in a season, and then they all came back, and I was like, okay, I think I get it. I'm good. Um, but Stephen Amell um, has been just... He has been a titan um, for these uh, shows, he loves this role. He loves doing, um, doing all of it. Um, so I think, uh, I think, I think him making this choice will ultimately be good for the character, and and keep it, um, uh, you know, for the most part, keep it uh, highly rated uh, in the minds of of the fans and stuff. So, uh, according to uh, an article over at Polygon, uh, uh, they talk about how this came to be, and they say that uh, Stephen Amell actually went to Greg Berlanti uh, near the end of the sixth season and talked about how, because of his contract uh, coming to an, an end, that this might be the time to end the show. Um, which is tantamount to saying, I'm done. You guys can do whatever you want to do. And they mulled it over and thought about it and thought about, you know, continuing the show. And apparently Stephen Amell wanted the show to continue without him somehow. Um, but they decided to, you know, bring it to an end. So. I think it's a good move. Uh, especially given the DC pantheon, like they would, they would be foolish not to use this opportunity to, uh, do something else and, and try something else. Yeah, and I, I think it's always, or I, I shouldn't say always, but it's almost always a mistake to continue a show like this that's anchored by one character or by like a, a lead character in this way and then trying to keep it going. Like it, it rarely works and you might get another season or two of television out of it, but like you risk damaging the the legacy and the good faith that they've established that they could ideally charge into a new show that could go on for 
you know, however many years. You could have just said you you could have ended you can end a show at eight seasons and you're good because no show is ever good beyond eight seasons. Anyway, uh, I I never watched this show, and it's funny because at the time it came out, uh, the Green Arrow was my second favorite uh, DC Comics character. Uh, it's just, I never had any interest, and uh, it, it's I guess it's really like the end of an era. These Berlanti shows have a really big following, uh, and I'm excited to see uh, Stephen Amell's next endeavor when he signs with AEW. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting too because it means that some other show kind of has to be the anchor of the CW and I wonder if any of the shows that they currently have will do that or if they're going to, you know, fill this void with something else. I I I think the as far as the anchor conversation goes, I think they the Arrow's time has sort of passed because I I've always felt like the Flash especially does what Arrow wanted to do and does it better you know when when arrow first came out like you said they appropriated a lot of stuff from batman and a lot of the criticism you would see uh in the first couple of seasons is that this dude is just batman um yeah that was what turned me off i watched the entirety of the first season was just like this is just batman but like i but i'm less interested and so i think you know as as they started introducing other characters and realized what they could do and accomplish the the tone of the show began to change and they they began to introduce other characters um the atom was a a, a huge part of season four i think um Play, played by henry cavill right no the other one Mark oh Hamill? Chris, christopher reeve was already dead uh no the Jesus. other one uh Kurt, Kurt Allen, he was long dead. No, that's the one. I'm pretty sure that's the one. Uh, no, Brandon Ruth played the Adam, um, and it it really added a, 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 a lighthearted sense to the show, and um, that moved over to the Flash, and that's where you started getting villains like Gorilla Grodd and uh, the uh, the King Shark. I think is uh, there the I, I, if I'm not mistaken, this week, Gorilla Grodd and King Shark had a, a match, like a like a fight <laughs> on the Flash. That's oh, the, dude. the the thing about the Flash is that show did stuff that you like. They were the first ones to introduce Earth Two, right? Um, after the first season, Jay Garrick's hat spins into the uh, into the show, and it was like I never in the world thought I would see that on TV. Um, and I, I don't think they could have done that without Arrow, um, lead, you know, leading the charge and making people think, okay, all right, Batman, but with a bow and arrow, fine. Um, but um, I think I think the Flash and Supergirl right now are really where the anchor is, because I think they the actors have a bit more chemistry and the. The, the long form narrative is a little bit stronger than uh, Arrow seems to be right now. So, last thought or note on this. Um, do you guys think that this leads to the Green Arrow character graduating to film? 
I don't know if it matters to them because they were going to make a Flash movie while the Flash show was still on. Uh, I don't think that was something that... Uh, in addition to that, there's been like this Green, Lan- uh, Green Arrow movie that was in pre-development hell for like 10 years called uh, Supermax. Where he would like be locked in prison with a bunch of superhero uh, supervillains and have to break out. That was like the, co- the concept. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah, that was. That sounds rad as hell, actually. It, yeah, it never got off the floor. Uh, so I don't think the show ending would be the impetus for them to make a movie out of it. Is kind of my thought. If they make a movie, it's completely independent of the show. I believe. I I do think that Arrow existing probably made that. Um more of a likelihood though because i don't think the green arrow was a very popular character or at least not as popular a character before this because they're like phil said these shows are really resonant um there's a huge huge contingency of arrow fans out there uh who i think would show up for a green arrow movie and a lot of those people probably weren't activated before the show existed yeah yeah this this is a character that now takes up a little bit more of the mind share, if you will, than he did prior to 2012. So uh, I'm just, you know, just wondering if maybe down the road there's a movie that 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 results from this. But uh, we'll see. I do think that Green Arrow is a character who could get over on the big screen. I, listen, there was a book that came out in like 2005 called Green Arrow Year One. And it's a really good book. It's one of the better Green Arrow books because as many have been published, most of them are kind of forgettable. Uh, And that was kind of used to explain the origin of the character in the TV show, uh, as far as I'm aware. Uh, Yeah, most of the show was based around that book, yeah. Most of the show? Like his, yeah, his origin. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like all seven seasons so far was used on this kind of like four-issue book. I mean, to a degree. Like they they reference the island a lot. All right, uh, but like, the, I think I think if you're gonna do like an origin story movie, there, there, there's stuff there. Uh, and he's a he's a unique character because he's all about philanthropy and stuff, and like it's like in an overwhelming in an over in a in like an almost nauseating way. Uh, so yeah, he'd be he'd be the Phil the Phil Casey of uh, the DCU. Ha cha cha. <laughs> um, I I think it would be interesting to get like a. Uh, Green Lantern and Black Canary introduction that way in like a the hard traveling heroes. Oh, that would be rad. Um, yeah, we'll see what the future holds for Green Arrow once the show ends with the eighth season, ten episode season rather than the usual twenty two. So, thanks Arrow for all you've contributed to DC on the small screen. Now, is that going to gonna lead to you watching the show? Uh, no. Now, now that it's over, Sean becomes the number one Arrow fan. <laughs> <laughs> Things of that nature have happened. It happened with Lost. I uh, I watched the season finale before, or the series finale, before I finished one season of the show. And then I was a diehard fan. Too late. But now we're going to talk about everybody's favorite comic book, Doomsday Clock number Hell nine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so Doomsday Clock number nine, three months after the eighth issue is finally here. Uh, hopefully, you guys remember what happened in issue eight. I had to. I had to look it up. I had to go back and 
and look because I fucking and the cover is different from what I thought it was too so I had to I was like I don't have any fucking idea is this the book <laughs> with the with the heroes in therapy it's no. the naked blue guy this is the book that put me back in therapy <laughs> All right. um so a lot happens in this in this issue uh this is probably what most people thought doomsday clock was gonna be when it was first announced in a lot of ways and that is for good and for ill depending on your perspective so i really just like i've been sitting with this book and i am dying to hear what other people think about it so somebody jump in and talk about it because i am i really need to hear other thoughts okay phil yeah all right uh i really like this issue and it's funny because what you're saying sean is true because i think the two most consistent complaints i've seen online pertaining to this series is one I don't want a Watchmen sequel, therefore I'm not going to like this regardless. So this issue speaks to that point because this issue is kind of what you would expect on face value of a DC comic book character Watchmen crossover, right? It's all the characters interacting with all the like all the DC characters interacting with Doctor Manhattan. The other camp has complained about the pacing. Uh, and a lot of people were upset that this didn't happen until issue nine. That the, 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 this road that uh, Jeff Johns and Gary Frank have uh, paved has led us here this so far into the book. And for me, I knew this would we'd get to this point. And it's, I think it's better that we got here at issue nine than issue 11 or something. This isn't, this isn't the, this isn't the climax If anything. This is, still part of the inciting incident. The inciting incident in a lot of ways was the firestorm incident in Russia in issue eight or seven. I know, I know it happened recently, but I can't remember how far. I think it was seven. Eight. And, no, was it's it eight. eight? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was the last issue. Yeah, I couldn't remember if they took a detour before we got here. but So, okay, issue eight. Uh, and everything here is, I think, still part of the inciting incident. And having Dr. Manhattan actually interact with these characters, I like it a lot because it sort of feels like to me that he's interacting with comic book characters. Like he feels yeah. like a god who's interacting with a sandbox. And these are all these colorful characters and stuff, and they all talk like they're characters. Sean Jones is, he, he, he's, diplomatic uh freddie uh i almost said freddie mercury <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean freddie mercury is going to be in suicide squad he was in this issue wasn't he right uh captain marvel jr comments on how he's naked uh hopefully dc doesn't get in trouble for that uh like they did for you can see his big, you can see his big blue wang in uh yeah in his book i I like this a lot. I like the way he interacts with the characters. I like I like the role of Guy Gardner in this book. Like it really next to maybe no one else, Jeff Johns has this this deep appreciation for the lore 
and in continuity of the DC comics. And he lets all these characters shine in just a few panels. Hell, the very beginning of the book is all these myriad of DC superheroes just flying to Mars in like nine different panels. And Gary Frank just, his art shines here. All these different teams. Uh, the most interesting, I think, being all the Charlton characters are flying in one ship. That was so cool. Yeah. yeah. That was a really cool throwback. In, in the spirit of things being cool, I really like that Captain Adam goes toe-to-toe with knockoff Captain Adam toward the end of the book. Yeah. And maybe kills him? It seems like it. Like he no, kills because him as- he does put himself back together. Right, but like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for like... I kind of killed him, right? Uh, like, he was able to thread himself back together. I, I really like it. I was saying this to Kale before we recorded. I like that it has all the hallmarks of Dr. Manhattan dialogue, too. He's talking out of time. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm most impressed by with Jeff John's writing in this, and it's something that we've talked about once or twice, is that uh, during, like, the Watchmen moments, it it reads like Watchmen, you know? Like, he's really done a good job of getting in, like, getting in character, I guess, for writing Dr. Manhattan and and even getting like some of like the prose right or just like some not even like the prose but like the pacing of some of that dialogue you know and like the narration when um when Dr. Manhattan is like talking out of time and then even the way that he interacts with the DC characters and like playing into the thing that Phil said earlier about it really feeling like a god you know having a uh, a dialogue with you know, fictional characters, you know, characters that like people, whatever heroes that he doesn't really see as real because he's sitting there manipulating the fabric of their universe and can easily blank any one of them out of existence or, you know, or change their entire life, you know, with like a basically a snap of his fingers. It's like a kid playing in a sandbox with his toys. There's that opening line that says uh, something to the effect of uh, being sm- uh, the smartest human is no better than being the smart sm- smartest termite or whatever. And that's kind of what Dr. Manhattan is. Uh, now, the last point I want to really address, I think, is where this is going. And what I see here is Dr. Manhattan recreating the events in a way of what Watchmen is. Watchmen, he, you know, the Watchmen world is falling apart with just political, you know, instability. And he creates an event that unifies humanity at the expense of the superheroes. And that's seemingly similar to what's happening here he talks about in this issue how something to the effect of like there is no hope or like, hope is useless or something and the character that most embodies uh and symbolizes hope is unconscious from the last issue uh as wonder woman who's trying to broker peace uh, among earth nations is ambushed by black adam it feels like it's recreating almost like a kingdom come scenario. Yes, 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 absolutely. It feels as though everything is, is falling apart. And like, it, it, it's, it's almost, it's like really difficult to see how this can resolve well for, for the heroes. Like, I feel like Jeff Johns really has crafted a, a situation where I'm not, I'm not convinced that this is going to end well. And I it think it feels really hopeless. Yeah. I think there's something else that's that's happening, but I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. I want Kale to 
to speak on this a little bit um yeah uh i don't know it's good uh, <laughs> um you guys you guys saw the uh the heroes in in crisis connection right with uh lex luthor and uh wally west hmm. speak on he, it, my dude so so he says um uh so lex luthor is talking to lois lane about how he sent the footage um but he specifically says um i was the one who sent you the footage of those heroes that never were uh it's proof lois uh my evidence points to one of his victims have you ever heard of wally west oh Um, that's a that's not a that's not a heroes in crisis connection that's that's actually so what he's talking about is the jsa those are the heroes who never were and his victim being Wally West uh, was was a victim of Doctor Manhattan's manipulation. That's what I, I got out of that. Huh. That, that. That's how also that's how I also interpreted it. But I can see Kale's point I because think, in think... Heroes in Crisis, uh, Lois also receives fo- or footage. Yeah, I think I feel. But but the footage she receives in Heroes in Crisis is the footage of the. Uh, footage of sanctuary right. not heroes that didn't exist she and, yeah she she does also get footage in this series as well yeah, well yeah. we know that the footage she gets is of the jsa because uh that's lex luther is saying hey someone is messing with time because these heroes here's a picture or here's footage or whatever of these individuals that do not exist i think i feel like i also heard Maybe it was on another podcast. You listen to um, other podcasts? <laughs> I, do you think I listen to this one? Wow. Um, that um, you little turd. Some, someone someone put out a theory that it could have been the long box. Um, that it's Wally. the The events of Heroes in Crisis are Wally lashing out. Um. And and you know in in the last issue that sort of connects because uh, he's hit with like the the lightning blasts or whatever that are very similar to in between these pan uh these three panels of lex luthor that manhattan is hitting i don't know it looks like the shazam family with i don't know I, that was just a uh that was the one solid connection i made um in this in this particular book okay um so I want to point something out that I I won't say, I will say I did not notice this myself. I had to look online because I last night I read this and I was desperate to hear what other people thought and uh I just I needed some uh you know some therapy. Um so in the panels where Green Lantern is showing Dr. Manhattan the villains that they've defeated Mm. One of the villains that is there is Superman, but it's it's Superman Prime. And Dr. Manhattan goes up to that image of Superman and says, my final vision of Superman. Remember that the last thing he sees is Superman raging at him, flying at him with rage. That's not the regular Superman in this panel and he says that's his final vision of superman so is superman prime 
the version of Superman that beats Dr. Manhattan. And if that's the case, what the hell does that mean? Yeah, I I was wondering that too, because obviously, like, I, I didn't immediately put together that the connection that it was Superman Prime, but it was like, obviously, this isn't our Superman. It's like an alternate version that they've dealt with it before. So, like, that immediately got my mind kind of going of, like, is there going to be, like, another kind of, um, like, a connection to another crisis? Earth? You know, yeah, so, like, like is, is that going to be where this goes? So I'm glad you raised that point because the book ends with a quote. Wherever there is a human being, there is an opportunity for crisis. Yes. Yes. Also, the name of the issue was crisis. Yep. And, Phil, you'll remember this because we both read Dark Knight's Metal. In that book, the source wall breaks. Yes. And that was his and left uh, open thread. Exactly. So, who knows, right? The, the new gods did not... There was a government shutdown, and they did not pay for a new source wall. Yeah, and, and we're seeing the ramifications of that in Justice League, but I'm also wondering if that has anything to do with with this book, and if Superman Prime is actually coming. I, th- I think it does. You know, like, because, I don't know, like, now that you guys say all those things, like, those are all theories that I was having as a reader just based on context without knowledge. So, like, the fact that there are these all these kinds of pieces that we can stick together, I feel like that's what we're pointing to. And when you think about what this book has been about and the places that it's gone in terms of it's kind of like, like you said, um, Phil, that, like, Johns has a real respect for like the history of the universe and like he's been touching on every corner of it and it feels like he's setting us up to explore this element of the dc universe which is like um the crisis and rebirth of it all i don't mean dc rebirth but i mean like the constant you know recycling of the of the or i guess i should say the reshuffling of the deck you know yeah absolutely um so to the to the point that uh, was made earlier about sort of Doctor Manhattan wanted to tear heroes down, we get we get a massive reveal that I don't think enough people are actually talking about. The Superman theory is real. Well, that's what the question says. Yeah, well, that's what that's... the question says. But it's a fact. If you read yeah. the if you so Doctor Manhattan shows oh, Ronnie yes, a yes. vision. Of uh, Doctor Professor Stein or whatever, talking to Rex, uh, what's Rex Mason? Yeah, about about this, or, and, and or how he's he has talking a, about Rex Mason. Yeah, and then in the end, of, in the back of the book, there's a letter he writes to the Pentagon where he says, "I have a plan for for this whole thing." So he infiltrates the superhero community by fusing his body with Ronnie and creating Firestorm. Oh shit! I forgot to read that. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's a big deal. And then, like, he also points out that there's Kirk Langstrom, um, Mandat. Yes. Well, yeah, and, and he says Rex Mason, Jack Ryder, Kirk Langstrom, the, and the others creature. we've created. The creeper. And put, creeper. Thank you. And others we've created and put into place have helped us make great leaps forward in our studies. Yeah. So, like, there's already been 
those three characters are already like you know agents. They're involved one hundred percent. Yeah, and there's potential for countless more. That's a massive deal because it 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 cuts into the idea of what a hero is. If Firestorm is a hero, but Firestorm is an agent of the U.S. government with and at least one half of him has potentially insidious um, uh, goals. What does that say about the nature of heroism in this world? Well, I kind of... Well, it's funny because Captain Adam was the byproduct of an actual government experiment in his origin in 1987. Uh, so that seems like a no-brainer that he could be incorporating that. But uh, I, dig- I digress. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of plays to the whole nihilist nature of Dr. Manhattan. Okay, and then there's a there's a whole other angle that I am lost on, I have to oh, admit. Hit me. What is Ozymandias doing? Yes, so I was going to bring that up. There are, loose, there are loose ends here, and I think him and Luthor are both two sort of loose ends still. Mm. Connected to that, um, Sort of. Um, I think the last panel of Dr. Manhattan speaking, where he says, what are you hoping to accomplish? I don't think he's talking to the heroes there. I think he's speaking out of time again. Wait, Doesn't well, he say as much? He says it earlier in the issue, I thought. He he says he uh, was talking to Ronnie. I know, but I think there was one earlier where he says that. Yeah, he says, "What are you hoping to accomplish?" And then his his thought his thoughts say, "No, that's not now. That's later." Oh well, okay, then I'm but, extra right. But yeah, yeah, you're extra right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's a good point. I. But I, I my my point is I'm I'm extending that to what you asked Sean about uh, Ozymandias and and Phil. Lex Luthor, like I think, I think Manhattan. He is talking to someone, but it's not these people. Sure, I I buy that, but I guess I don't understand, and I'm not like, am I supposed to? Do we no. collectively know what if, Ozzy is doing? If 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 we do, it's okay. So I think it's one of these types of situations. I think it is something that where there have been clues laid throughout that we aren't picking up on. And once it, you find out, if you reread it, yeah. you're like, oh, this was here. Oh, this was here. Oh, this was maybe, here. <laughs> maybe, we should take, maybe we should take the time and make it our longest book club ever. Well, we, we already are. Hero, Heroes in Crisis and Doomsday Clock. Just a read-through of both of them. Just back-to-back. We'll pick out all the clues. I, I I just uh I feel okay okay so Wait, there's let's, another, let's, go ahead sorry go ahead. there's another there's one other part what does Batman know because when he wakes up he says I don't think it's whatever they think it is I need to send a message to Marge how long is it gonna take to it's, get there to Marge <laughs> <laughs> he don't. He, he realizes that Rorschach was not lying. Right. He, exactly. He, he he knows that that there's a whole other element at play that these heroes aren't taking into account 
and that they're being played right now by going there because they're going to die. So that, I think, is a thread back to Ozymandias. And that's the thing. You asked, am I supposed to know? And I don't think you are. I think that's by design. But it's also like we're also in the climax of it. Like we're we're balls deep in this. Like the mystery is unraveling as yes. it's coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. The inciting sure. I guess I just unraveling. I was just wondering if there was something that I missed because he was such a big part of the first half of this, and then ever since Doctor Manhattan jumped into the fray, he's he's been completely absent. And I, I feel like there was his goal initially was to get to this world, this universe, to find Doctor Manhattan, to get him to go back to the other universe to fix it. Is that is that right? Yes. Yes. At least seemingly, less, I think. Yeah. But oh man. That. So he doesn't succeed in that. You know, because they meet Manhattan and they have a. Manhattan has a conversation with someone. It may have been Ozzy Mendes. With Ozzy, yeah. Okay. And it doesn't work. And then Ozzy is like, well, fuck it. I'll do something else. Right. Right. So. So let's let's actually talk about, because we, we've done the theory thing and, and that. Let's, let's just t- t- spend some time talking about what we thought about the quality of the book and, and everything else. I, I, I'll start. Um. I thought that this issue felt the least it, it was the least subtle. It was the issue that played its cards furthest from its chest, I felt. And it was the issue that was the most plain in terms of what it was doing. The nuance that I think was applied to a lot of prior issues wasn't necessarily present. Um, I think that's going to happen a lot more going forward. I think this yeah. is unraveling. Well, what I was going to say was that I don't necessarily think that that's bad. I read a lot of criticism of that. And I think that if you th- if you if you thought this wasn't going to happen, I don't know what book you were reading or what you th- what you what was promised to you that I didn't receive because this this is what it is. It's a it's it is this. It is. I mean, the Earth heroes have to encounter Doctor Manhattan, and they are ants compared to him. You know, and I thought that Jeff got a lot of mileage and value out of this first encounter. Um, in fact, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time, and. My jaw dropped several times, and it wasn't because of the the secrets that were being revealed or whatever necessarily. Part of it was just seeing how powerful Doctor Manhattan really is. He he originates from a world where no one else has powers but him. Oh yeah, so, him, him discovering magic, for instance, that was insane. Yeah. It was a delight. Yeah, um, seeing Captain Adam explode him and him just reform. Yeah, we've seen him do that. We saw that in Watchmen. But to see a, a, a character who, if you are aware of Captain Adam, you understand that he's powerful. Captain Adam is Doctor... one of the heaviest hitters in DC. Yeah. 
and Dr. Manhattan no-sells that. So uh, so explain to me how Superman is supposed to beat this guy with one punch when he's when he survives that what Captain Adam did to him. He makes the people the the magic users who we think of as, you know, some of the most powerful characters in DC, he makes them look like a joke. How do you stop this guy? Mm. Guy Gardner broke his neck. <laughs> Guy yeah. Gardner broke his leg. That was that wild. Was, Did he kill him? So ridiculous. Yeah, you saw yeah. that, right? It's like his his neck fucking bent. <laughs> but <laughs> that was one of my favorite moments. But when he broke the lantern, I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Uh, and uh, I I completely agree with you, Sean. I think that that criticism is totally unfounded because I think that my concern going into this was that it would be this. And it wouldn't feel earned. That it would feel like X-Men versus Avengers, but DC versus Watchmen. You know, just like, we're fighting, and it's supposed to be emotional or something, and then it's over. But this this book has earned it. You know, like, we're, we're fucking uh, nine issues in here. And, like, there hasn't been a moment like this until now. I think, I think people are missing the point. Yeah, absolutely. The, good... Good action most of the time is never about the action, right? The action here isn't really about showing off how powerful Dr. Manhattan is and how he just lays waste to these DC characters. It's it's more about what's happening outside of this. Dr. Manhattan's still perceiving time in a different way that we don't understand. Um, he's discovering like what magic is and shit. Earlier in the issue, he interacts with a ring from the Legion of Superheroes. He's interacting with the sandbox like per- someone who's never read a DC comic before. He just has a surface level knowledge of Superman because he has a vision of him or whatever. That That's how it comes off. I'm not saying that's what it is, but like everything about this confrontation isn't really about the fight. Yeah, I, I think what's so cool about this book, and uh, I made I made the point earlier about like how it kind of encompasses every corner of the DC universe and it feels like it's building towards crisis. I feel like that is what's so good about it. And it's what reminds me a little bit of Watchmen in a way too, is that it's not just an interesting, compelling narrative. It's also an interesting meditation on the DC universe, you know, instead of like in the way that Watchmen was a look at superheroes, this is a look at DC through its characters and through its traditions and the fact that it's doing that while also like telling a compelling story and like giving us a good mystery is just masterful. And I think like that's what's so cool about this issue is like, yeah, there's all this action and it's illustrating how powerful Dr. Manhattan is, but the narrative is still moving in the corners and the margins of the story, you know, like the threads that are being established with Batman and uh, Lois and and um, and Lex on the sidelines you know, are, are the things that are really moving the narrative forward in this issue uh, as much as what's going on in that actual conflict of what we're learning about Firestorm and all the other stuff that's that's being set up here, you know? So it's like a lot happens in this issue. It's not just the fight. It's not just the action, which is good, which is satisfying, because how could it fucking not be? The art in this series has been in-fucking-credible. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's that like the story is still moving in every single subplot. Like in in the way that I've been criticizing Heroes in Crisis for feeling like 
a million things happen every issue, but it goes nowhere. This is the exact opposite. It's all building yeah. towards something. I I, I, I kind of feel like the people that are criticizing this issue are coming at it from two perspectives. They're either the people that were never going to like this regardless, which there are people that are like that, or they're the people that are wanting some Grant Morrison-esque twists and turns, which this book was never going to be, because that's not how Jeff writes. I, it, well, it's funny to me, because I actually think it has some big twists and turns. and Yeah, I mean, I mean like the Morrison-style twists, though. Right, 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 right. It, it, it feels grounded, even though it does feature, you know, characters like Manhattan and stuff, which is a testament to John's ability to capture that Watchmen feel. Um, the fact that he, like, included everybody, too, like, the fucking Doom Patrol and Animal Man and just, like, all, like, every, like, corner of the DC universe is getting, like, its nod here, which is really cool. Well, and I wanted to point this out, and I've been trying to do uh, uh, just a bit of backup research because I'm not 100% sure uh, this happens, but... um. Do you guys remember what issue Dr. Manhattan dies in in Watchmen or nah. or the one where you know all his flashbacks and stuff nah, where he goes nah, from head. Joe or whatever the fuck is it the one where he has all the flashbacks? I honestly can't remember. It's the been a long where he time. Dies as in John Ostrander dies yeah. or Yeah. Yeah. You're asking if those are the same issues? Uh yes, I'm fairly sure that they are. Okay. All right. So I I'm gonna, I want to point that out. He dies in this issue as well. Dies uh, twice, I guess. Um, but he also describes. So he's um, on the. He's on Mars with uh, uh, Laurie, um, and he describes her as a uh, her existence as a thermodynamic miracle. Uh, so my point in all that being this is issue 9 of Doomsday Clock that was issue 9 of Watchmen that's so cool I like that so both of those things have happened now in issue 9 that's really really cool look at you look at you Kel good job I I have a, a question for you guys now Dr. Manhattan says that the tachyon blast on earth clouded his vision of the of the past and future. Yes. So because of that, he's able to be surprised by things and whatnot. Right. If he's the one who caused the blast, why is he experiencing that? I don't think he is the one that was responsible for the blast necessarily because that's the whole Batman point is that I don't think it's his fault or whatever. And when did he in, say that? Hold on. I have to bring it up. Um, I would also point out in Watchmen, uh, that happens to him as well because Ozymandias has made the uh, the Bubastis creator or whatever, and it has tachyon energy in it. So yeah, maybe it's Ozzy. So, so, so this is so Alfred says. Played, excuse me, sir. I believe your last words to Superman before the explosion were, "It isn't firestorm." To which Bruce replies, "Firestorm, firestorm wasn't behind the explosion, but I don't know if the man they're going after was either. I should have listened." I didn't see it as he's looking at the Warshak yeah. mask. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, man, that, that that is so compelling. Because 
Oh man, I just I have I have so many questions. Huh. This is such a brilliant book. What he you got, also Cal? he also Ozzy also pushes enter, and in the in the the timeline of the page, Ozzy uh, pushes enter, and Doc Manhattan starts coming back to life after after uh, Captain Adam blows him up. Wait a second, what are you saying here? <laughs> so right, so Captain Adam blows him up, right? Yeah. yeah. Two pages later, on the first and second panel, you have Ozzy, and in the second panel, you have him pushing Enter. And then in oh. the seventh panel, you start seeing Doc Manhattan starting to put himself back together. What? And there he says, what are you hoping to accomplish? Probably the Ozzy. Ta- oh. Could Probably be Ozzy. Yeah. Whoa. Damn this! Wow, this book is okay. so good. It's, it's it's funny because as he hits enter, the next panel is Bruce's computer saying the message failed to send. Yep, that yeah. as well. See, I thought I, I thought that might be the case, but I didn't put together so, the Manhattan of it all. That's really interesting. There's, so, so there's always we've talked about this four episodes, uh, not four episodes, four issues ago. I guess there was a constant theme of of checkers or chess, but uh, one Woman at one point when. She's giving her address. Ozzy's watching the TV while it's happening. The next panel is when Ozzy hits enter. The next panel is when uh, the message fails to the send. The message fails to send. And Wonder Woman says, we've all played a role, uh, referring to the geopolitical issue. But really, it's like chess in that every character on the board is playing a role. Yeah. And yeah. Ozzy's the man who's playing the pieces. But and one king why? on one side is Superman, and the other side is uh, Doctor Manhattan. That reminds me of that one cover that we saw where yes. Superman and, and Doctor Manhattan are puppets. Yeah, exactly. And I guess Ozzy's the puppet master. Oh man, I I cannot wait to see how this resolves because I have so many questions. This is incredible. I I feel like this book is going to go down in history as one of the greatest comic book events of all time. I agree. This, well, you know what? Uh, This might be like Jeff Johns' magnum opus book. Oh. Go ahead. He's had these defining runs on JSA, which were really, like, important. Green Lantern launched the character into, you know, the pop culture stratosphere. Uh, But, you know, he's never really, in my mind, had... uh, insulated book that's just like no this is his if green lantern if if green lantern is to say like grant morrison's animal man uh this would be to his all-star superman or something i'm not saying that i'm I'm not trying to draw a false equivalency or anything it's just like this would be his magnum opus title kale i know that uh in the past I would say of the four of us that are here right now, you you're probably the one who's loved this book the least. Is that would you say that's fair to say? Uh, I guess that's probably fair. Maybe yeah. Marco, but he's so, not here, so who cares? Oh, yeah, just of us that are here. So, with that being said, where are you at with how you feel about this series, especially in in the context of this issue? And, and and do you feel like it's living up to the hype? And are you are you into it the way that? You know the rest of us are, I guess. I, I think I'm still. 
I still want it to stick the landing. And I think I think that's that's where I think I'll be the most impressed. I am very impressed with the voices and the the strings that are being pulled and and you know uh, the way this narrative is being weaved for sure. Um but I I am still very much like I'm still very much waiting sort of for the other shoe to drop and and that admittedly that is uh cynically that's uh, reasonable though yeah I mean like I'm you know we're 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 in the the home stretch now you know this is the last quarter of the book um if it you know like like I I I, I can say I definitely didn't anticipate everything that's happened you know i i have no problem saying that i was one of one of the most vocal detractors for this book um so i am still very much in the camp of i want to wait and see how it ends um but you're enjoying what i'm i'm here i'm i'm definitely here for the ride yeah for sure Okay, okay. So that's the that's the comics pals uh, review slash reaction to Doomsday Clock number nine. Uh, Doomsday Clock number ten is actually pushed back. Uh, to of course April it is. 10th. Well, yep. April's not that far away. No. Uh, so that's just it's a month. Another month. Yeah. yeah. It, which if that if it does if it does come out when it's supposed to. That'll only be a month, and then number eleven is scheduled for May twenty second. So, so, so we'll review number ten in August, and we'll review number eleven in January. I uh, the original the original Watchmen was uh, plagued with delays as well. So, yeah, absolutely. You think they did it I, on I did purpose because wanna... they wanted it to be poetic like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I did want to want to comment on uh, the the cover for the next issue of the book it's it's a cover that has a young boy i'm not sure if there's relevance to who this kid is but uh he's reading a comic book called all-star comics and it features the justice society of america with all the characters you would you would associate but dr manhattan is sitting at the table oh so so it's funny because one thing i wanted to say earlier but i was like this isn't a grant book it doesn't matter uh and also this was kind of done in multiversity but i was like uh when (laughs) Dr. Manhattan says, uh, what is your plan? Or what are you hoping to accomplish? I was like, is he talking to the reader? But then you bring up this issue cover and I look at it and it's almost like that's the reader. I could be, yeah. Oh, man. I cannot wait to see these heroes back. Yes! And then... uh... I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I'm gonna share it here because I do, I, I do wonder, and then we'll get out of here if there's any relevance to this that I don't, uh, that I don't understand. But if you guys will uh, click the link that I just sent you, wait, wait, alter- wait, that is what? pushed back two weeks. Wait, Sean, what? I'm sorry. The, so it says Coleman on the mailbox. Yeah. Do you remember who that is? No. That's Carver Coleman. From the old man earlier in the series. Oh Jesus! The actor oh, yeah. was murdered. Oh, 
Bludgeon with a Death Ear was awarded. Back in... Oh, huh. look... Because okay. the variant cover is yes. that scene. I wanted you to look at the variant cover. That's what I was trying to get... Oh, that's what sorry. I was trying to get oh, at. Yeah. Wow. Oh, God, we're going full circle Fuck. here, man. Fuck. That's amazing. Which is also fiction. The movie. Right. Wow. Also, yeah, like, just looking at this kid and comparing it, like, that's that's definitely young, young Carver. That's fun. That is, little, that's a lot. We got that's a little teaser. A lot. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll be back eagerly anticipating uh, the next issue. And when that drops, we'll have a review for you guys. Again, uh, that is April 10th that we can expect the next issue. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our conversation about this book. Uh, let us know your thoughts. If you have read it or if you are not reading it for whatever reason, talk to us about, you know, where you're at with Doomsday Clock. Um, plenty of ways you can reach out to us. You can hit us up on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. Um, you can leave us uh, a message or, you know, a comment on YouTube. Um, while you're there, you can drop us a share and a subscribe. All that stuff helps us out a lot. Um, very, very curious to hear your thoughts about this book. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's get into some plugs. Pete, hit us. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about Doomsday Clock and Captain Marvel. I'm uh, interested to chat about both of them. And uh, if you want to catch some more content from me, you can find me over on our sister show, The Video Game Pals, along with Sean. And uh, you can also check out my work over at LootPots.com, where I do news, reviews, all that kind of stuff, and uh, host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Podcast. Awesome. Kill. So there was a, a brief window of time this week where I was going to think of something I wanted to talk about, talk to the audience with, but I don't remember what it is now, so I guess I don't want to talk that bad. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Um, I have also bit the bullet and uh, made my dang self a website. Ah, wow. yeah, um, nice. So you can find all of my work, including this podcast and the now defunct Riverdale Review, um, as well as my comics work on KaleWard.com. That's C A L E W A R D dot com. Sweet, Phil. It's March 9th, 2019. Hello, the pals are alive. This is Dr. Marco Hatton. Wow. <laughs> if you want to find my stuff, I've come back in time to plug it. You can find me on DeviantArt at Dr. Yowie Boy 69 <laughs> And you can find my hentai all over the internet. Anyway. Nailed him. Gotta go. Whoa, that was weird, huh, guys? Marco uh, from the future, and he was a lot bluer, and his, his dingle was sticking out. Anyway. <laughs> you can find me on Cyborg Bebop on social media. Wonderful. And as for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about Heroes in Crisis and or Doomsday Clock. I'd rather talk about Doomsday Clock, but if you've got a take on Heroes in Crisis that's compelling, I want to hear it. I would also so, hear it. Yeah. 
So with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Did you guys notice that uh, Donald Trump is definitely the president in Doomsday Clock? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he is.